Welcome, church. Morning. Uh, inside your uh, worship folder is uh, just a brief outline of the message. Would ask you all to grab that, uh, kind of follow along. Um, Joel is uh, obviously out this week uh, in Mongolia. Worship this morning at a his little Facebook post at a small country church. So um, let's pray for our pastor as he's away and. I, I pray today that God would speak. Uh, it's, um, it's the privilege I have every week to uh, lead my small little life group. And um, we're working through Exodus right now. And in Exodus 6 and 7, I came across this little phrase a few weeks ago in our life group. And it's just really struck a chord with me. And over the last few weeks, uh, after Joel asked me to uh, give the message today, I've just been kind of dwelling on this thought. And uh, you're going to get kind of the overflow of that. So uh, Life Group, uh, several of you all are here. Again, I apologize. You all got the guinea pig version way back when, but we're going to do the whole hog version today. So uh, if you've got your Bible, you can turn over to Exodus. Uh, most of the verses that I'm going to read today are going to be either in your bulletin or up on the screen. But I need to give you quite a bit of background that kind of leads up to this point of where Moses, Pharaoh, and God are at when we get to chapter 6 and 7. So again, if you're familiar with Exodus at all, in the, in the first chapter of Exodus, there's a statement that the Joseph that uh, led kind of the whole famine years and was the second in command to Pharaoh, um, he died, passed away, hundreds of years have passed from Genesis to Exodus. And the little statement is made, and there was a Pharaoh that grew up that did not know Joseph. And this Pharaoh looked out on the people of God, the people of Israel, not a nation yet, but that, that group of people, and decided that they were a threat to his kingdom. So he gave several decrees during that first chapter to try to annihilate the male babies of the nation of Israel. Well, it did not succeed. His plans were not followed through. And in chapter 2, uh, we, we, have a, we have another individual, Moses, who's born in the middle of this time of trying to annihilate the babies and is protected by God, by his mother by Pharaoh's daughter, a lot of things go on, and F Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house. And one day he's out walking in the fields and he sees uh, one of his people, one of his, uh, one of his Israelite brothers being mistreated by an Egyptian and kills the Egyptian. The next day he gets called on the carpet for it. Um, Pharaoh finds out, sends out a decree to kill Moses who's living in his home, who was raised up as a child of Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh's now out to kill him. Moses flees to the backside of nowhere, a place called Midian, and begins to tend sheep for a priest in Midian. And this priest gives one of his daughters to Moses as his wife, and he, he spends, so he spends now 40 more years. So Moses is now 80 years of age. He spends 40 more years in this wilderness area. And one day he's on the backside, the west side of the wilderness, and it says on the backside of the Mount of Horeb, which we know is the Mount Sinai. It's, it's the mountain where God spoke to Moses. And he sees this bush and he has an encounter with God. Take your shoes off, it's holy ground. God calls Moses into this occupation. And the occupation is, first of all, that you know who I am, Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I am God. And he says, then I'm going to call you to go deliver my people out of this bondage of Egypt. And again, if you know any of the story, Moses says, no, I'm not, I'm not able, I can't do it. Who should I say send me? It's the great statement in the Old Testament. You just tell them, I am sent you. I am. Now, a little side note here. Fast forward to the New Testament in John. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, I am, I am, it's the same reference to that I am statement of I am Yahweh of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ was making the parallel that I am that same I am of the Old Testament. Moses hears what God says, I can't do it, I can't speak, I'm not eloquent, I got all these excuses. God says, listen, I'm going to take care of that. Your brother's going to go with you. He's going to be your mouthpiece. You go back. You tell the Israelites, I am sent you. Yeah, but what if they don't agree that, uh, you know, you are who you are? He said, see that staff in your hand? Take and throw it down. You all remember the serpent comes out. And um, if they still don't believe you, take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the ground. And it will become blood precursor of some of the plagues that are going to happen. So Moses goes and talks to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who the heck is this Lord that you're telling me about? I don't know this I am guy. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to double the hardship on the people of Israel. I'm going to take away the straw. They still got to build. They still got to make bricks. They still got to do all of that. And then not only was Pharaoh against Moses, but the children of Israel rose up and they were against Moses in the middle of this. So he goes back in chapter 6 to God and says, what in the world did you send me out here for? Pharaoh doesn't like me. The children of Israel don't like me. Why am I out here? And we come to this passage in Exodus chapter 6, the end of it. So there in your notes, if you're able, if you'd stand please as we just uh, read a brief little section of scripture here in honor of God's word. Now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am Yahweh. 
I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am unskilled in speech. This is the second time he's going through his excuses. I'm unskilled in speech. Then how will Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet, and you shall speak all that I command you. Father, as we... Uh, just understand your word today. I pray that you'd challenge us, Father, that you would push us and move us to speak all that you have commanded us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we know about Moses. And again, the, the rest is the rest is history. Right, right after this, he goes and the plagues, the all the plagues start, just one after the other, and after the ten of them, the firstborn, the Passover that we celebrated a couple weeks ago at Seder, that was that event that spawned out of this Exodus, um, this Exodus movement of God releasing His people. And you remember the the Seder, if you came to it, the the Seder specifically was an opportunity for the dads, for the grandfathers, to tell their kids what happened in Exodus. Don't ever let them forget how God delivered the people. It was all through this individual Moses who started the event. So I've got four questions just why was Moses so effective in doing what God asked him to do? So God could use Moses, and again, I, I just, number one, because Moses finally figured out who he was. He finally realized who he was. We're going to look at that. No, number two, he realized what his choices were. I'm either going to obey God or I'm not. And that was all of his choices. And he finally recognized that obedience to God was obviously the proper avenue for him to go. The third question there, what's really important to Moses? Were, were the excuses was what was important to Moses? Was his livelihood, was his cush shepherding job on the backside of nowhere, was his family and his kids, was that what was most important to him or were other things more important? And the last question, what, what were Moses' goals? And again, I, I think all, all four of these kind of mutated and evolved through these first chapters of Exodus to where God could use Moses. So I'm going to go back and try to at least answer some of these questions and make an application for you on each one of them. First one, how can God use me? God can use me when I come to recognize that I am loved and called by God. See, and I, and I think this is a huge issue for most people in the church today. 
We come, we worship, we sit, we read, we take some notes, and we close our Bible, and we walk out the door. And the next week, we come, and we sit, and we worship, and we read, and we take some notes, and we close our Bible and walk out the door. And I don't know that we've made the connection that when God loved me, he called me as well. See, we, we get the, and again, I, I'm, we get the idea that God has called this guy up here. And, and, and God has called the, the student guy, and maybe God has called the worship guy girl, and God has called the, but I, I, I don't know about this thing of God calling me. Now, and I'm, I'm not saying God has called everybody to be the guy up here. That's not what this call is about. This call is about when God reached down and loved me through the name of Jesus Christ. He called me to relate that same thing to other people. It's not an option that we have that we can sit by and say, Oh, well, I like the fact that I'm going to heaven, but pardon me just for a second. I don't give a rip about if anybody else goes to heaven. Now, we've never vocalized that. But we vocalize it by the fact that we come in and we sit and we sing and we read and we take some notes and we close our Bible and we walk out the door. And the next week we come in and we sit and we sing and we read and we take some notes and close our Bible and walk out the door. There's no connect between the fact that God has loved and called me to the fact that I am doing something with it. And that, that's, that's the issue in our world today. We, we look around, and again, I, I'm, I, I, Chris and I drove to church this morning. I made the comment, I, I, I hope some folks show up today. I had two strikes against me today for worship. Number one, it was the Sunday after Easter. And everybody makes an effort to show up after Easter, and they're tired from showing up after Easter, so they don't, they don't make that next commitment. But the second big strike was, Joel's gone. And he told everybody last week that he was gone. And... and we, we get the idea that if we just show up here, that's enough. But it's really what goes on out there that makes the difference in our life. And especially the difference in somebody else's life. Look at Exodus chapter 3. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may sit in church on Sunday morning and sing a few songs and take some notes, and close your Bible and go home. 
See, there, there's a reason that God called Moses, and it was that he might change the world. Now, that's my interpretation of that. That you may bring my people out. It's an option that we have to recognize that I am loved and called by God just like Moses was. Now, again, we're, we're not Moses. <laughs> we're who we are. But if you stand and declare the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been called. Acts 1.8 says, but you will be my witnesses. It, 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 it doesn't say, but you will be the ones that attend church and go home, and next week you'll be the ones that attend church and go home, and next week you'll be the ones that attend church and go home. You will be my witnesses. So how can God use me? I need to make that connect that God has called me to change the world, to influence others for Christ. The second question here, um, you remember, what are his choices? Moses chose to follow God. Just like I have a choice now, am I going to follow God or am I just going to show up for church and sit down and do all of the things I'm supposed to do here and walk out the door and never, ever, ever have a change of my life in influence in the world. The choice is to follow God. Look at Exodus 5, 1. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said, they made a choice, even though Moses, over and over again, is relaying these excuses. I, they don't know me. I'm the guy that murdered the Egyptian. They don't know who you are, God. Now, that's really unusual to know this is the nation of Israel. But again, you remember those 80 years in there, there's no temple, there's no tabernacle, there's no sanctuary, there's no priest. There's just a group of people that are in bondage and slavery. They, they don't know who you are, God. What if, they don't, what if they don't follow me because they don't know who you are? I can't speak. I'm not educated. I, I wouldn't know what to say if you told me to go to Pharaoh. Yet through all of this, God intervened in Moses' life, and he and Aaron chose to go and talk to, in their opinion, which he was, the most powerful individual in the entire world at that point. And they said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh says this, thus says the Lord, we must choose to follow God. Now, it, it is what we do with our kids on a regular basis. We, we hope and we pray and we give them direction on choices to make. But you know what? They get to choose. Y'all don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise mine for me. Your kids ever broke your heart on some of the choices they made? Wow. 
just breaks your heart. When, again, none of us are perfect, but we do our best. We lay out, we, we, we put in front of them the values and the direction and the ideals, and they choose a different direction. Today, I'm going to ask you to make a choice. I'm going to ask you to put a stake down in the ground and make a choice today on if I'm going to follow God in this thing about being called to change the world or am I going to neglect what God said and I'm not going to show up to Pharaoh and I'm not going to tell Pharaoh what God said. I'm going to choose to disobey God. It's a choice today. Third question, what was really important to, to Moses? You, you'll see here my third, to decide that people are more valuable than you fill in the blank. For Moses, his choice was, are my fears, is my anxiety, is my issues with my mouth, my knowledge, my education, is the fact that peer pressure is there, that people are going to reject me, the children of Israel aren't going to follow me, no matter what I do. And it, it came down, again, and it took Moses a while to get there. It came down to Moses saying, I'm going to choose people, I'm going to choose influencing people over all of the other fears and anxieties and excuses and issues that I've got going on. I'm going to make a choice that, that people are more valuable than anything else in this world. And again, it's back to our Western culture that that is... If I go and declare what God has said to somebody in my workplace... Will it negatively impact my work or my future at work? Will it? Somebody answer the question. Will it? It might. It absolutely might impact your career and your job in your future. It absolutely could impact it. Guys at school, going and sharing Jesus Christ with somebody, is that going to influence or impact the way other people look at you? It might. It very easily could. Is it going to influence the fact that your, your brother-in-law who doesn't like you anyway And you go and try to become that, that influence on him for Jesus Christ. Might it impact your family dynamics and relationships the next time you get together? Oh, it might. And, and I have to go back. Am I called by God? 
And if that answer is settled in you, am I called by God? Have I chosen to follow God? Then am I making a conscious decision that what God has called me to is more valuable than anything else? There's a years, years, and I've used this before when I've, uh, when I've given a message here. There's a quadrant on time management that, again, came out years ago. I, I, I came across it when I was in college. And it talks about there's four quadrants to time management. The first quadrant is crisis issues that you can't control. They just happen. Your, your son breaks his arm, and you've got to drop everything and go to the hospital and be with your son. The, the bottom two quadrants are, are kind of those items that are not important and not, not really that significant in your life, but that's where we spend most of our time. We spend them in meetings and on emails and surfing the Internet and watching TV, and that, that's where we spend most of our time. But they're not very productive. The productive quadrant is the people quadrant. Is where I intentionally say I'm going to focus my efforts and my time and my resources in investing in people. And that's where I get my bang for my buck. Because that's where I influence people for eternity. I can show up to work and do the work things down in these bottom two quadrants and make a living and make a fine living and buy things and buy stuff and acquire stuff and and I, I can do all of that, but I need to make a transfer of my ideas of what's valuable and what's important to me. And I don't think there's anyone in here, I don't think there's anyone in here that would sit here today and say, my family is not important to me. My spouse, my kids, my grandmother, my aunt, my uncle, I don't think there's anybody in here. You may not like them, <laughs> But I don't think there's anyone in here that would say they are not important to me. And that's the click that we've got to make. That's the, the connection we've got to say, that those people are more valuable than anything else I can imagine. The fourth little question kind of to look at here is, and this is where in your seat today, and you're either sitting on it or you've moved it, there's a little bookmark. And um, I'm going to tell you just briefly a little funny story about this little bookmark. Um, about three weeks ago, when I knew what I was going to speak on today, um, there's an initiative um, currently going around uh, several Southern Baptist churches, and it's called Who's Your One? And the idea is, uh, who's God put in your life? that he's called you to influence for Christ. So I, I, I knew that this initiative was going on, uh, and I went online and I researched and I found some resources. And uh, I, I put in an order for these little bookmarks. And I ordered 200 of them, because we have about 190-some-odd chairs sitting out. I, I ordered 200 of them. Well, um... About a week and a half ago, two boxes came and were on my front porch. And my son brought them in and 
So those must be those bookmarks. I only ordered 200 of them, so I opened it up. They, they came in packs of 25. So if you need some extra, I have 5,000 of these bookmarks. I'm not kidding. I have 5,000 of these bookmarks. They cost me $5 for shipping. That's all they cost. But you have a bookmark in your, in your chair. And if, if you'll just turn it over on the back, just for a second. And you'll notice that this bookmark has a little perforated, y'all see the little blue top on one side, it's kind of perforated. On the bottom half, which is the bookmark that I'm going to ask you to keep, there's a 30-day there's a guide for praying for who's your one. So here's, here's where this whole message is gone, and here's the little phrase that I picked up in Exodus. So if you'll go back to the top of your outline and look at Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. And God said to Moses, I will make you as God to Pharaoh. That little phrase has just tugged on me for weeks. I will make you as God to Pharaoh. Now, let me unpack that just for a second. The Hebrew really doesn't say, I will make you as God to Pharaoh. The Hebrew says, I will make you God to Pharaoh. I will make you God to Pharaoh. Now, this was not an implication that Moses was going to turn into some deity. But what this is an implication is that when Moses stood in front of Pharaoh, he was representing God himself to Pharaoh. Now the significance of that, if you know anything about the Egyptian history, is they understood that their Pharaoh was God. The people imposed upon their Pharaoh deity. And this Pharaoh was God. So Exodus, this whole story of Exodus, is not a story about Moses and Pharaoh. It's not a story about the children of Israel being released from the bondage of, of Egypt. It's not a story about that. What this is a story about is a story of God and Pharaoh. And how God had to get Pharaoh to recognize that he was not God. So he sent Moses as God to Pharaoh. And Moses was essentially under the authority of God declaring, thus says the Lord. Now for me today, and here's my big ask. And don't take this wrong, but here's my big ask. Who are you God to? Who has God placed in your life, in your circle of influence? Who's God placed you next to that you are representing God to them? 
When I was growing up, there was a little phrase, and it years and years ago, and you, you may have heard it, but uh, it, it said, you may be the only Bible somebody ever reads. Y'all ever, anybody ever heard that? You may be the only Bible somebody ever reads. I'm going to switch this around. You may be the only God somebody ever gets to know. That's how significant this call is upon your life. God has placed you in a neighborhood. God has placed you in a family. God has placed you in a workplace. God has placed you in a school. God has placed you in a gym. God has placed you on an adult softball team. God has placed you, God has placed you in a circle of influence. And here's my ask. Who's your one that you're going to identify this morning that I'm going to do God to them? I am going to go and I'm going to intentionally begin to move them from where they are to where God wants them to be. So you'll fill in the blank on this back, on this last thing here is, um, who's that one person who is far from God but is in your circle of influence. I, and again, you all, God may call you to this, but I'm not asking you to go to Mongolia. I'm not asking you, maybe Eric is, but I'm not asking you to go to Nicaragua, but maybe that's where God's asking you to go. I'm asking who, who lives next door to you. I'm asking who's in the cubicle next to you. I'm asking who's in the office next to you, who sits next to you in math or algebra. I'm asking who, who hits on the same softball team you do. What parent is in your kid's soccer team? Who is in your circle? Just that one individual. Who's my one? Moses, Pharaoh. Who's your one, just one? Who's your one that God has asked you to represent him and to declare, thus saith the Lord? Now let, let me, let me kind of peel back just a little bit. Part of Moses' job was to go and to show who God was, to declare God's mighty acts. Y'all know the blood and uh, the water and the blood and the frogs and the gnats and the flies. I mean, you just go down, you just go down the list. There, there were mighty acts that were going on that Moses was there. Moses and, and Aaron were there to show Pharaoh. But over and over again, if you go through and if you want to take some time to study, over and over again, the one thing that God asked Moses to do was to go and to declare that I am Yahweh. I am God. Now Moses wasn't God, but he was to declare that God is God. Here's here's our modern day transference into that. My job is to go and declare that God loves those in my circle of influence and he has a plan for their life, a hope for their life. To declare that God is God. Everything that goes on in Exodus 
is not about Moses. It's about God. And my opportunity is to get in on what Moses got in with with Pharaoh. You know, we, we know the end of the story. The end of the story didn't end well for, for Pharaoh or for the Egyptian army. But who did it end well for? The children of Israel. Redemption and salvation and freedom came to the children of Israel because of what Moses declared to Pharaoh. It is not your job to save people. It is your job and your call to declare, thus saith the Lord. That's what God has called. He has not called you to save people. Jesus has already done that. But folks, this afternoon at 5.30 when the avalanche play, and if I had the opportunity to be in San Jose and watch the avalanche play, I can guarantee you one thing. I can guarantee you one. Here's a guarantee for you. Nobody, if I was sitting there rooting for the Avs, nobody after the Avs game is going to go out and say, man, because that guy's an Avs fan, I want to have Jesus in my life. That's not going to happen unless I declare Jesus is Lord. Being called by God is more than just living a godly life. I've, I've never had a, a neighbor come up to me say, Steve, by the fact that you back your car out every Sunday morning and head to church, I want that same Jesus you got. I've never had that happen. It happens when we declare, thus saith the Lord. And God saved me. And Jesus Christ came to die. And he died for you, and that's your hope for eternity. Declaring thus saith the Lord. Choose my words here. Is easy. But it's easy only when I make the choice that people are more important than all of my fears and anxieties. When my fears and anxieties are prominent in my life, sharing my faith is one of the most difficult things that you'll ever do. But if you can flop those two and say people are what matters to God, then to target one and take 30 days and pray and begin to intentionally look for opportunities and ways to build a relationship and go out to coffee and talk to them about their world and tell them you'll pray for them. Is there anything you can pray about? Is there anything going on in their life that you can, that you can just talk to them about and share the hope that God has given you and the hope that Jesus Christ has provided for you? And would you like that hope in your life? It's, it's not hard it just makes a decision to say, I choose to follow God. In our time of commitment today, I'm going to ask you to take this little blue, little perforated section and put your one in the name slot. I put a few pins out in the seats. You 
may not have a pen. Maybe you need to mooch a pen off of somebody. But as I tell my family and my life group, this is mandatory fun time. And I'm asking you right now to play hard and to say, God, I'm choosing to follow you this morning. That's a choice. I, I can't make you. I, I would if I could, but I can't. And it's a choice you have today between you and your God. And all I'm asking is you, this, your name isn't on here anywhere. I'm just asking you to put your one's name on this little thing and bring it up here during the commitment time. Bring it up here during the commitment time and just set it on the platform. And begin intentionally over the next few days to pray, to ask God to intervene, to ask God to give you the words, to calm your fears, to help you choose to follow God. Fathers, we approach this time together. Father, I pray that, uh, that your word would permeate every individual that's here. The Father, we'd move from fear and anxiety and busyness and covered up, and Father, we'd move to choosing you, to make a choice to follow you today. Father, as simple as this little act is, I pray that you'd give people the, the boldness to write that name down Father, in a moment, just get up from where they are and come place it up here on the stage.